0: Discover the breathtaking fall colors in Cedar City and Bryanhead, Head. Surrounded by stunning red rock, watch the trees transform with reds, oranges, and yellows. Plan your trip now at visitcedercity.com. You won't want to miss this. Oh, hey. What's up? What's up? What's up? Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. I am not Bryson Carver, at least for the time being. I am, as my man Grady Edwards once dubbed this look, Cheesehead Ozzy. <laughs> With the cheese head. This is not belonging to me, obviously. uh um, my the 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 shades cheese head Ozzy's in the building to break down Packers Lions in just a moment. Obviously, I'll get into that game. A great game last night for a guy that picked the Lions to get to the NFC title game, and they just look better and better and better every week. Now, don't they? Gonna get, get into that in just a moment. Also, the you We'll not be wearing a cheese for the ball view uh, at 630 Eastern, 330 Pacific going to get into Tennessee's big time matchup against the South Carolina Gamecocks at home in Neyland stadium. It's a dark mode games. So the black uniforms, uh, Not haven't done that that many times in Tennessee history, but we tend to play well and we wear those. Looking forward to that. I'll predict that game and detail Tennessee's keys to a victory. Also going to get into Colorado-USC, the biggest, actually maybe not the biggest game, but certainly the, the most hyped up game of this weekend. It's prime time. It's the best player in college football. It's going to be outstanding. I, I actually, I actually, after thinking about it, after watching that game against Oregon, I think there's actually a lesser chance Colorado beats USC than Oregon, who I thought, as an all-around football team, might have been just a little bit better than USC. I'll get to that. And, of course, the end of today's show, Week 4 NFL Predictions, including my upset of the week, if I were a betting man, and Bryson's bleak bet. But first, I'll give my thoughts on the Green Bay Packers in just a moment, so let me take the shades off. Screw it. Let me take the cheese head off as, uh, as well. Let me put my Steelers hat on, you know, a team that actually is solid. Um... So the Detroit Lions won last night, 34 to 20, over the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. Looked outstanding in doing so. After Jared Goff's initial interception, third play of the game to Rudy Ford, in which the Packers settled for a field goal, he was magnificent uh, throughout the night. His numbers weren't indicated. He only threw for a little over 200 yards. Completion percentage is solid. He had a touchdown pass. QBR is pretty good, of 61. Zero to 100. Pass rating, eh, about 86, 87. So nothing to write home about. Nothing to go crazy about. But Jared Goff was efficient. Jared Goff made big-time throws. Jared Goff made a tough throw to the kid. The tight end, I really like that they have. uh, Sam Laporta made a tough uh, throw to him down the middle of the field at one point in the game. What I—and I remember after the first game of the season, just three weeks ago, and the funny thing is the Lions are actually going to end up playing three Thursday games this year because of the opening uh, opening night game against the Chiefs last night and Thanksgiving Day, as they do annually. But what I thought was mind-boggling about Detroit— after that win against Kansas City on uh, opening Thursday night, is that the question's the next day, ah, what is wrong with the Chiefs? Ah, is Patrick Mahomes going backwards? Travis Kelsey, uh, Chris Jones need all these guys, and Andy Reid, what are you doing going forward? And they're they're right tackles playing tight end, basically, in terms of where he's lined up and false starting everywhere. And My my takeaway was, while all those things are certainly true and absolutely contributed to Kansas City losing that, can we not give just just an ounce of credit to Detroit? An improved defense. Jared Goff didn't turn the ball over in that game. They ran the football effectively. And this is the big thing I said with the Detroit Lions. It's not just the fact that for once again, the third game uh, this season, they did what they tend to do under Dan Campbell. Kneecap. 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 No, I had to bring that back out. I had to do it. Um... What I love about this Detroit Lions team, folks, it's the very, very, very reason I had this team participating and playing in the NFC title game this year against the Dallas Cowboys. This is why. That offense last year, the offense you saw dominate Green Bay yesterday, just as good last year. Just as good last year when they went 9-8. and eight. They got hot down the stretch. I think they went 8-2 and two in their last 10. Nearly made the playoffs. Came that close. The defense was atrocious. Pass defense the whole bit. What have you seen for Detroit this year through the first four games? Absent the Seattle game, you get props. Seattle's an excellent offense, so that obviously factored in as well. But against Kansas City, against Atlanta, and now last night against the Green Bay Packers, who you would think might be humming to a certain degree offensively because of the big-time fourth quarter they had against the Saints. Again, more on Green Bay and more, more on Jordan Love in a few minutes. But it's the fact that Detroit, when their secondary isn't playing great, and there was a couple plays in that game, you saw Jordan Love is throwing to some wide-open guys. Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs are just streaking wide open across the field. So the secondary is a bit of a concern if you're a Detroit Lions fan. It's their ability to rush the passer. How about Aiden Hutchinson? Hutchinson, I saw this stat today. Um, I saw the stat today. This is according to, to Pro Football Focus, okay? Sam, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, if I could pull up the stat here. There it is. Um, Of second-year defensive players, so guys that were drafted in 2022, second-year defenders, uh, Aiden Hutchinson has six games of six or more pressures. Okay? Six games where he's pressured the quarterback six or more times. The entire 2022 draft class has five combined. So this guy is making that big year two jump. We thought he might. I I remember saying before that 2022 draft, the Jags should have taken him instead of Trayvon Walker. I think the Jags, it's early, but might be regretting that decision to a certain degree, especially how they struggle to get to the quarterback at times. But Aiden Hutchinson's a monster. They got that great linebacker, Alex Anzalone, who made some big-time plays, helped with the tipped interception that Love threw in his own in his own end zone. When he tipped the ball, making some big-time tackles out there. Brian Branch, who I'm thinking, oh my God, he's, is he out for the season? God forbid, maybe an Achilles injury. Turns out it's just an ankle, and turns out he gets right back up and, and gets out in the field. Again, seems to be kind of the mindset of the Dan Campbell team. Not only that, and we talk about Amandra St. Brown, we talk about Sam Laporta, Jared Goff throwing all of the field Josh Reynolds. What Detroit can do. And again, what is I have always said running the football is not the difference between you winning or losing a Super Bowl. That is we have plenty of evidence of the last 4 years to show you just that. However, it certainly helps take the pressure off your quarterback. That's always been a general general rule of football. How about David Montgomery? Uh last night, former Chicago Bear, again, great great move Chicago not bringing this guy back, right? 30 Two carries. That's unheard. That's like Derrick Henry numbers. Thirty-two carries for a buck twenty-one. Nearly four yards a carry. Three tuds. First win by the way of his career against the Green Bay Packers. God knows he wouldn't win no games with, with Chicago against Green Bay. We know that ownership you know situation goes there with Green Bay constantly being Chicago twice a year. But here's the point, and here is see oh so often in professional sports, even sometimes in life, when somebody or something. Has been kind of a dud or kind of a laughing stock for so long, we kind of just overlook it, right? I mean, we think about, you know, in, in recent years, the, you know, I'll use an example, my Tennessee Volunteers. Up until last year, we were one of the laughingstocks of college football. I say that as a Vols fan. Keep running through coaches. Recruiting isn't great. The big, big dogs in the SEC beat you up every year. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, teams like that, Auburn. And then you get the right coach. And then you get the right quarterback. And then you start recruiting. You've got the fan base. That that you know kind of is set in stone. And you get that win over Alabama and the whole tide, the whole outlook nationally for Tennessee instantly changes. And we view them now, obviously, they're lower in the top 25 than you would like for them to be. Certainly, as I, I would like them to be as a Vols fan. But we view Tennessee as now a respectable program. From about 08 to 2021, <laughs> we were not quite that. That, to a far greater degree, is what the Detroit Lions are. In the last 60, I think the number is 65 years, they've won a single solitary playoff game. That was 1992, I believe it was, the uh, 91 season, early 1992, when Barry Sanders led the Lions to a 38-6 win over the Dallas Cowboys right before their dynasty started. Last time that's happened, Detroit's run through coaches, they've had two all-time generational talent offensive players that only played nine years. We felt like we ca- they probably could have or should have went longer than they did in Barry Sanders and in Megatron Calvin Johnson. We look at the San Francisco 49ers, this well-run organization. They draft well, they pick up free agents. They're well coached. Historically, they have had success. They won five Super Bowls. We look at them as a contender. Philadelphia only has one Super Bowl, but it's historically been a well-run franchise. They've got good coaching, uh, good quarterback play, excellent defense, excellent offensive line, good weapons. Uh, great ownership group, phenomenal general manager. We view them as a contender. By the way, as we should, both of those teams. Even Dallas, who hasn't had the recent success, but they've got the five Super Bowls. Most people, most honest people, think Dak is at least a very good quarterback, albeit you know, potentially a great quarterback. Mike McCarthy has won a Super Bowl. The defense is amazing. You know, we understand how it is for Dallas. We view those teams as contenders. Again, rightfully so. But then we just snub the Detroit Lions. Why? History. How many Super Bowls? They have one playoff win in the Super Bowl era. Okay, was it Bobby Lane was the quarterback back in the day? You kind of put the curse over the line, so to speak, when he left the organization. They haven't really recovered since in terms of playoff success. But it's a new day in Detroit. It's a new coach. It's a new quarterback. It's a new roster. It's a new front office. They know what they're doing. They have, let me ask you this question. Again, when we talk about the contenders in the NFC, because that's what Detroit has to go through if they want to make a long playoff run. What does, well, sorry, let me rephrase it like this. What do San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Dallas have that Detroit does not? Detroit's got a top 10 quarterback. I think Goff, we can we can say that now he's a top 10 quarterback. We're probably right at 10, but check his numbers from last year, check this year. He's he's been good in the fourth. Actually he's actually been excellent in the fourth quarter. He's been efficient overwhelmingly, doesn't turn the football over, takes shots down the field, can make elite NFL throws. And he has been doing it for a while now. They've got a top 10 guy. So does Dallas, so does Philly. I don't view Brock Purdy as a top-ten guy, but I like him way more than most. Detroit has an elite offensive line. I think it's better than Dallas's. I think it's better than San Francisco's. It's probably in that discussion with them in Philly. Panay Sewell is a unit at tackle. Monster up front. Taylor Decker's an excellent guard. Wide receiver weapons. They don't have the household names. Dallas has CeeDee Lamb. And the Eagles have A.J. Brown. And, and the Niners have either Brandon I Pick one, Brandon Iyuk or Devo Samuel. But they got him under St. Brown. And they've got Josh Reynolds. And they've got uh, the kid coming back from the suspension. Looks like early. Uh, Jamison Williams. We saw what he did in Alabama. If he comes even close to replicating that, he'll be a, le- a legit player in this league. Outside of San Francisco... Detroit has just as good of tight ends as Philly and Dallas do. You see what San Laporte is doing the first few games this season? He's been a top 10 tight end already coming in the NFL. He's better than whoever Dallas has, whether it's Ferguson or whoever they've got. Dallas Goddard, he's fine, like him. He's a product of the system that's in Philadelphia. Defense. We look at, oh my gosh, San Francisco's is overwhelming, overwhelming, which it is. Dallas is in Philly's kind of in that same class as well. But Detroit has elite playmakers and their secondary like Brian Branch. They've got great linebacking play. Um, which I think is it's better than Dallas and way better than Philadelphia. Their linebacking play, Alex Anzalone leading that group. And then defensive line, Niners, Cowboys out. Maybe they're not as good at stopping the run as the Philadelphia Eagles are, although they did a great job last night. But man, they can get to the quarterback. Again, the Packers, sure they were missing David Bakhtiari. Sure they were. But the Packers coming into this week, pro football focus, knowing Bakhtiari was on IR. Detroit got just continued to get to Jordan Love, continued to get to the quarterback, you know, brought him to the ground, got pressure on. Aiden Hutchinson was everywhere last night. So again, I ask you, what do those teams have that Detroit does not? This is not just hype. This isn't just, again, by December, a lot of you people are going to be saying, you know what, Bryson might have been right about this. Yeah, Let's go and hop on this Lions bandwagon. They're a contender. Y'all have been saying this since, uh, what, April, when they dominated the NFL draft. And by the way, not to mention, they barely use Jameer Gibbs. And you hear, you see Lions fans on Twitter like, man, guys, let's use Jameer Gibbs. They will eventually. I promise you that Ben Johnson's a smart OC. They will eventually. That's something else. Detroit has a smart coaching staff, offensively and defensively. And their head coach has their team ready to go and is solid and situational, uh, You know, in, 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 you know, situationally in, in these games. So, yes, Detroit is absolutely unequivocally a contender in the NFC, which is not quite as weak as maybe I had initially thought coming in this year, albeit we're only barely we're not even a month into the season. Yeah, I understand that. But again, they've got all the pieces to potentially go on a run. It's why I have them playing in the NFC title game. This is an excellent, not just an excellent football team, this is a great football team. This is a top eight football team at worst case scenario. That's not to say they're better than the Dolphins or the Niners. They're not better than the Niners. They're probably not better than Dallas. But can they compete with those teams? Can they beat those teams in the playoffs? 100%. And I think they continue to exhibit that week in and week out. I said coming into last night's game when I pre- de- predicted Detroit to win all the Vegas Sharps. Oh, they were all over Green Bay. Uh, listen, even the best of the best get it wrong. It's fine. It happens. But I said about Detroit coming into last night, I said, I was almost more impressed by the win against Atlanta on Sunday than I was most of their wins going back to last season. When they were beating teams via shootout 38, 35, stuff like that. Yes, Atlanta's an unbelievably limited at quarterback. Desmond River's not the guy. They're going to draft a quarterback in 2024. They've got Kyle Pitts. They've got Drake London. And they've got B. John Robinson. And they've got a good O-line, which Detroit dominated. Held them to six. It's a new day in Detroit, Lions fans. Get ready. Get pumped. I mean, did you see all those Lions fans taking over Lambo? How cool was that? That was, that was really awesome. So, congrats to the Detroit Lions. Great win last night. And ladies and gentlemen, that is 1,000% a Super Bowl contender. And I've been telling y'all that since the offseason. It's great that America's finally getting to see it. For the record, Detroit at 3-1 now leads the NFC North. They've got Carolina next week. We'd have to... I think it's fair to say they they'll be favored in that game. They've got at Tampa after that. Um, again, I'm looking at Detroit's schedule. I had them at 12 and five coming into the season. I think 13 and four is realistic. I really do. I mean, the only dicey game. Listen, there's never. It's this is not college football where you know an Alabama plays uh, cornbread Tech uh, and they win by 50 and they're favored by 45 in the game. Uh, the these are the game. There's no game in the NFL that's just a gimme. It does doesn't exist. It's the best football players in the world. But the only games where I'm like, at Detroit, I could absolutely see them losing that game. They've got at Baltimore on October 22nd. That's a tough one. Um, They've got, who else? At the Saints is always a a tough place to play. Um, At Dallas, second's last week of the season. But, folks, I'm seeing a lot of Bears, Raiders. We don't really trust the Chargers, Broncos. I mean, a lot of Vikings at the end of the season. Vikings might be tanking for all we know by that point. A lot of winna- f- winnable football games down the stretch for this Detroit Lions uh, football team. Um, you could argue that three of their f- three of their toughest five games were played. They've already played them. I mean, you talk about at Kansas City. That's about as tough as it gets. Now Kansas City, you know, didn't have Kelsey, didn't have um, didn't have Chris Jones. We understand that, but that's a tough place to go win, and they did. Home against Seattle. Now I guess that's a home game. Seattle, we don't view them as like this contender in the NFC, but we see what Seattle's been doing offensively the last couple of weeks. Seattle looks excellent on that side, and they're all, all, always under Pete Carroll seem to be pretty solid defensively. Um, and then last night at Lambeau. Now they 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 won at Lambeau last year, famously because Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know that was his last game as a Packer last year. If the Packers have won that game last year, they'd have been in the playoffs instead of Seattle, Detroit, with nothing to play for. Beat them. Uh, in the cold, in Lambeau, I mean, that that to me, that that game to me, folks, before I get to the Packers, it might have been the game where the Lions culture kind of shifted. We knew that first year under Dan Campbell, they only won three games, they had the second pick in the draft, they played hard, but we see a lot of bad teams, they play hard, props to them, you know, that's, that's give, give all, all the love to them in that regard, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about winning the NFL. You keep your job if you win, you're successful in the playoffs, et cetera, and you draft well, of course, if you're a general manager. But you go into last year, the one and six, they're great offensively, but they can't stop anybody defensively. They go on this run eight and they're uh, seven and two going to that last game. They come into that day where they need to win and Seattle needs to lose for them to make the playoffs. The problem was Seattle's game was before Detroit's game, so Detroit knew coming into that game whether their season was over or whether they were a win away. Well, Seattle beat the LA Rams. I think it was a walk-off field goal, if I'm not mistaken. So Detroit, minutes, like a half hour before that game against Green Bay, knew this is our last game of the season. We cannot make the playoffs. We mathematically are eliminated. And they still went out there, played their you-know-what's-off, and beat Aaron Rodgers in his final game at Lambeau. When everybody... Even myself included. <laughs> you know, thought the Packers, okay, they're, they're on this roll. They're going to win. Nope. And they had Jamal Williams, who's now with the New Orleans Saints, had that funny interview after the game where he's crying one second, and then he's, he's like, beating his chest the next. It was, it was, it was kind of funny. So props to Detroit Lions. I think that's where the culture really kind of shifted. So uh, I don't think at this point any success that they have should be a surprise to us. I really don't. If you can go on the road in Kansas City and win, you can go on the road once again to Lambeau and win. They're in great shape, I'm telling you. Folks might think out folks out there might think, well, what are you doing with the with the Steelers hat on? You might as well be a Lions fan. Well, listen, like I said, sometimes I gotta admit when I'm wrong. Did so on two on Monday. By the way, can I just say um before I get into Jordan Love of all view of in about 10 minutes? I just gotta say this. I have and I'm not the only one who's who's referred to them as this group as this, but I've called the Tua Tungavailoa fans Tuanon, which is obviously in reference to the conspiracy group QAnon. And because I'm like, God, I don't know what you see in this guy. And then on Monday, I'm like, okay, I I, I can't fight it anymore. Like, he, he gets better every year, every year. The response by Dolphins fans who come at me for years. Check old videos on Carving Up Live. They've been at me for a while. Overwhelming. There's a couple. It's like, ah, stay on the side. It's like, well, no, I want to be objective. I want to be honest. Overwhelmingly, though, the response from Dolphins fans has been awesome, and I should not be surprised in the slightest by it. Because y'all know, you know, I've been a big last year when nobody believed in the Miami Heat. I believed in the Miami Heat. I said back in February they could make the finals. They ended up making the finals. And it's a great city, great people, great fan base. And uh, overwhelmingly, the Dolphins fans were were really chill about it. They are like, hey, listen, we all make mistakes. You know, at least you're not just standing there, just going to stand on this rock. I'm, uh, even though I'm wrong, I'm going to stay here. No, there's nothing wrong with them, and you're wrong nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So hats off to Dolphins fans. And I refuse, I refuse to call you to and on from this day forward. Okay. That is, I I will never say that word again on air and carving up live. I apologize, Dolphins fans. Barry Grant Jr. with the comments. And Barry's, by the way, got a live show tonight at nine Eastern, uh, six Pacific here. I don't don't know if we're on the, uh, if it's on the grid, uh, Barry, you could, you feel free to to you know be in the comments and you know tell the folks where that's at. But uh definitely on his uh YouTube channel, he's got a live show, which he usually doesn't do that, but he's got a live show at nine Eastern 6 Pacific, so that should be fun. Uh but Barry's in the comments, he says, Jordan love, not good. And that transitions to me perfectly. Thank you, Barry. Thank you so much. That transitions to me perfectly into um Cheesehead Ozzy mode. And I didn't come up with that, by the way. That was my buddy Grady Edwards who came up with this uh you know character, so to speak. So um to restate the score of the other night, the Green Bay Packers lost the game to the mighty Detroit Lions, the fighting Dan Campbells, the kneecap biters, thirty-four to twenty. And uh, as Barry's comment said, quite simply, uh Jordan Love was how do I put this? Well, he's awful. Twenty three thirty six. Not a terrible completion percentage. Two forty six, it's fine. Touchdown. Yeah, you know, he's Christian Watts was wide open to play, but he's, he's you know. Two picks. One of them was awful in the second half. Passer rating of 69.9. And it gets worse, folks. A QBR 0 to 100. Now, for those of you who don't know, QBR is not like passer rating. It doesn't just take into account straight up results. Was the pass completed? Was it not? No, no, no. It's, well, should it have been completed? Was there like a tip ball? Was the interception your fault? It takes into account your legs. If you run the football, like if you're, you know, you get outside the pocket, it takes all of those things into account. Jordan Love, QBR from 0 to 100. 7. hmm And if I'm a Packers fan, which is Cheesehead Ozzie, I am, you know, very passionate about my Packers. As a Packers fan, I would be uh, mighty concerned about your quarterback. You know, the days of uh old A-Rod and certainly the days of Brett Favre was long gone. First of all, it's not normal to pass off from first bout Hall of Fame quarterback directly to first bout Hall of Fame quarterback. So God knows it's not going to be. It's not going to happen three times in a row. But Jordan Love, remember that first game against the Chicago Bears? Played really well. Jordan Love, what was his numbers? He threw. I know he threw through touchdown passes. Yeah, uh, passer rating had was the highest of Week One. Played great. Played looked really good against you know the worst defense of football. But I gave props to him the next day. I'm like, it looks good. It's the worst defense of football, but it's a start. You can build off of that. Week two against the Atlanta Falcons, who have a good defense. Yeah, Jordan Love looked good through three quarters. And in the fourth quarter, Green Bay forget score. They did not get a first down. Matter of fact, there was a play where Jordan Love was under center for a quarterback sneak. And he ran the quarterback sneak. Here's the issue. The ball was not in his hands. And so it cost Green Bay an opportunity to first down. Week three. A game in which the Packers won. Came back from 17 down. Aaron Rodgers style. Remember that game against the Bears back in the day? Week 1, 2018. Aaron gets hurt. Leads the Packers to victory still. They're down 17-0 to the Saints. And here, here comes Jordan Love. Uh, yeah, here comes Jordan Love leading the comeback. They win the game on a, on a game when he touched that pass to Romeo Dobbs. Here's the thing. A, Derek Carr got hurt and missed the rest of the afternoon. The Saints do not lose that game if Carr's healthy. And number 2, Love was... Well, like he kind of pulled a Tim Tebow. He was terrible. Beyond terrible through three quarters of that game. Now, props to him for winning the game. We give him love for that, as we should. It's all about winning the NFL. Look good in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, it's it's nice to play a team that basically doesn't have an offense without their quarterback, but they won the game. And then last night, on a short week, nonetheless, as the film starts to start to build and guys get more tape on Jordan Love. Notice. Week one, Jordan Love's awesome. Week two, really good, just bad in the fourth quarter. Week three, awful through three, excellent in the fourth. Last night, terrible throughout. Sure, he had a couple of cute drives in the third quarter that were nice and made the game somewhat interesting and maybe made a couple betters nervous, but they were never going to win that football game down 27-3. But most quarterbacks aren't. Jordan Love, who helped put his team in that hole, absolutely was not. How many times in that game did you see Jordan Love either get outside the pocket or even stay in the pocket and look kind of gun-shy, kind of hesitate, double-pump, tap the ball a little bit? Maybe he's going to throw out of the bounce. No, no, pull it back down for a guy, and folks say, oh, you know, he's making his first starts of the year. He's also in his fourth year in the National Football League. If you remember Aaron Rodgers' first year uh, as a starter, it was back in, I think it was 08, it was 08. 2008 with the Green Bay Packers, they went six and ten. We're not successful in terms of wins, but you saw some flashes from Aaron Rodgers. Like, oh, okay, if this kid taps in his full potential, he could be something special. And something special uh, is uh, understatement for Aaron Rodgers, who I've never, I've never even been an Aaron guy, but even I can admit, yeah, he's obviously one of the ten best to ever do it, and he's a top, he's a, uh, he's a first bout Hall of Famer. For Jordan Love, however, it's quite different, and for Matt Lafleur, it is very different. It's a nice luxury to have when your offensive line is amazing, which I still think Green Bay's offensive line is really good. I, I'm not going to judge it just based off last night, even without Bakhtiari. That's a really good offensive line. Um, you got the running game, Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon. It's great. You know, you can run the. They didn't run the football effectively last night because that's that's the you know because they're playing a great Detroit Lions defensive line. So be that as it may, wouldn't we agree the weakness of the Detroit Lions is their secondary, right? And Love could not expose that aspect of the Lions' defense. Interesting, uh, I must say. A lot of his yards, if you notice, a lot of his yards. In the second half, came the Detroit's kind of playing a prevent defense. Okay, we're not going to give up the big play down the field, which they still did one play. Um, We're not going to give up the big play down the field. We're not going to put ourselves in a position to get burned for Green Bay to get back in the game quickly. Again, sure they cut it to ten. Did you come on, even Packers fans? Be honest with yourselves. Did you really think you were going to win that football game down ten at that point? You knew Detroit was going to go back down the field, just like they'd done all first half long, running the football right up the gut. Jared Goff making big time throws was never a game, not at any point. The second, your best opportunity to get to to potentially have a shot to win that game is when he got the the interception off. It was a bad throw by Jared Goff. It was the only bad throw of the night. Rudy Ford makes a great play on on Jordan Love, or I'm sorry, on uh, Jared Goff. You're down. Where, where were the Packers at on the field? Where were they at? They were at the Detroit 16, and uh, they went exactly nowhere. No, no, no yards g- uh, gained on that drive. Settled for a field goal, and it was all downhill after that. So for Green Bay, and by the way, for the record, and this should be stated: uh, the Packers' road uh, is not well. It's not exactly a cakewalk from here. Uh, Next week, if we could pull up their schedule. Hold on. My phone's acting kind of slow on me. Uh, They've got at the Las Vegas Raiders. They should probably win that game, although that's Devontae Adams' first game. He gets his old team. He'll want to make a point, so you never know. Uh, Packers at Broncos. Potentially interesting, you know? Potentially. I mean, for all the criticisms we have of Sean Payton, uh, would we take Sean Payton or Matt LaFleur? Who tends to be quite clueless in late-game situations. Uh, Home against the Vikings. Should probably win that game. Home against the Rams. Eh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. At the Steelers. Heck no, they're not winning that game. Home against the Chargers. Look, as bad as Brandon Staley and that Chargers coaching staff is, <laughs> Justin Herbert is miles better. Miles better than Jordan Love. He'll find a way to win that game. Chargers aren't awful. They just got a bad coaching staff. At the Lions on Thanksgiving. In front of the whole country to see. Even more so because it's Thanksgiving. The first game. You know, while you're getting your turkey ready, your casserole and all that, they're, they're not winning that game. Home against Mahomes and the Chiefs, uh, we'll start with no. Uh, at the Giants, should win that, probably win that game. Buccaneers, eh. Carolina, I like Carolina more than most. At Minnesota, probably not. Uh, home against the Bears, they always beat Chicago. So, just notice that, again, though, that every single week, Jordan Love looks worse and worse and worse, and worse, because coordinators have tape on him now. Week one, I know Chicago's got a bad defense, but in in Chicago's defense, they they didn't really know what to make of Jordan Love. He has one start in his resume. The game against Kansas City two years ago when they put his poor mother up in the nosebleeds, which was messed up, by the way. And then the year after that, when Aaron Rodgers got hurt against the Eagles, he came in and eh, looked fine. Again, Eagles didn't have any tape on him either. It's a whole different ballgame when, the, when you know, the, the other coordinators know what you're going to do prepare for you, that's when it, excuse me, that's when it changes, so, knock yourself out, Packers fans, knock yourself out, uh, uh, cheeseheads out there, you know, your stadium was taken over, after all, by Lions fans, so, did you notice, too, and then we'll move on to the ball view, did you notice, too, that the old Philadelphia-style boo-birds were in full flight? Full throat in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Again, not quite as bad as it would be in Philadelphia. Again, You drop a pass, they boo you in Philadelphia. You, 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 you can play awesome uh, through three and a half quarters. You drop one pass, the fourth, they boo you. Boo you off the field. But did you notice that first half was over, if Jordan Love made a bad throw or something like that? Or Jordan Love made a mistake in the pocket or outside the pocket? Notice the, the, the boos start to get louder and louder and come with greater regularity. I'm stay. i st- going to stand on what I said before the year. Green Bay, get ready for a good old-fashioned, well, not good old-fashioned because it's, it's now a 17-game season. That's only been the case for a few years, but get ready for a, let's put it this way, a good old-fashioned six-win season. Jordan Love is not the guy. Frankly, neither is Matt LaFleur. Both need to be replaced by season's end. The good news, though, Packers fans, you have a history with great quarterbacks, and there's a slew of them coming out of college next year. You're not gonna be bad enough to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. But could you get Pennix Jr. from Washington State? Could you maybe sneak in there and get a, a, a Riley from Duke? Maybe. But until then, you're enforcing have to deal with Jordan Love. I'm sorry, Packers fans. It's uh It's just not working out for you. I'm sorry. It's just not working out for you. It's okay. Put the cheese head aside. Let's put the the winning team uh Let's put the, the hat back on. Go Steelers. Uh, real quick, so the comment from Barry. I was asking him earlier about the uh, his live stream. He said, uh, "Okay, live show will be dual streamed on the grid as well, weather permitting." Because you uh, because uh, New York is underwater. Yeah, I saw that. The the weather in New York seems to be kind of you know kind of dicey. Seems like it's really been that way a lot of the East Coast recently. Um, I mean, I know it was a, there was that stretch. Obviously, had the tropical storms last week, but. Um, Gosh, was it, was it a few weeks ago where it seemed like it was just raining everywhere in the East Coast? Like constantly. Where I'm at in Tennessee, it was just raining every day. So, it's definitely been funky. It's definitely been funky weather uh, out on the East Coast for sure. Okay, so, like I said, let me get the, get the speaker out of here. Get the speaker out of here. I don't, don't want to waste the battery of this thing. This is a, it's a good speaker. Playing Go Pack Go earlier in the show. So, uh, again, we like... We like talking about uh, winning brands and winning organizations and winning programs in this sense. So, uh, once again, we debuted this segment to start the college football season every Friday at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific Time, live on Carving, Up, uh, Carving Up Live. It is time, once again, for the VolView. Uh, give me my music, and here we go. Tennessee here we go it is once again time for the ball view live here on carving it up and this is a big matchup for Tennessee maybe isn't gonna be looked at as as this huge marquee matchup uh in college football understandably so again I'll get to Colorado and USC a little later and you know Utah Oregon State happen to play tonight so big matchups in college football there's no question about it uh but certainly one of the bigger matchups in the Southeastern Conference involves the South Carolina Gamecocks and my Tennessee Volunteers, my 21st-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. We picked up a big-time win, bounce-back win last week against uh, UTSA 45-14. to We did cover, by the way, uh, in that football game, as I thought we would. Joe Milton looked far more comfortable. Again, I talked about last week in the Vol view. A concern I had for Joe was there was a stat that came out by, I think it was Ryan McChrystal. I want to give the guy credit who, who put this out, saying that among FBS quarterbacks, Joe Milton was the worst against pressure. Now, that is something that hopefully for Tennessee will be corrected because the fact that you potentially could have your, your, your star center, Cooper Mays, uh, coming back pretty soon, potentially tomorrow uh, tomorrow night against South Carolina. But Joe Milton looked good. Uh, he actually injured his knee at one point in the game, but Joe Milton looked very comfortable. Uh, ran for a—how long was the touchdown ran for? Uh, first play of the game, folks. Joe Milton ran 81 yards to the house— Uh, On a touchdown run is a beautiful ball fake. Uh, There's actually a call out there. Tennessee, for the first time ever, we had a Spanish broadcast, a radio broadcast for the game. And the Spanish call of the Joe Milton touchdown is, you have to Google it. It is awesome. Uh, most most Spanish broadcasts, uh, uh, you know, for big plays in sports are, but th- this one was was outstanding because it involved you know my balls. But listen, running game was good. Uh, we took more shots down the field, and that's something that Coach Heupel was on the radio the other day in Knoxville talking about. Josh Heupel, head coach of the Vols, was that he wants to see bigger plays the pass game. Like if you watch Tennessee, if you're just the average college football fan, you turn on a Tennessee football game, you say, okay, they run the ball well. They got Jabari Small. They got uh, Jalen Wright. They've got this young kid, Dylan Sampson, who's coming. He's not going to get a ton of carries this year, but in the future, this guy's going to be the bell cow to a certain extent uh, for them. Josh Heupel's offense is predicated in a large way off of running the football effectively. But you see that in terms of the passing game, see, sometimes the check down from time to time, they run a ton, probably more than anybody in the country. A ton of screens uh, outside the numbers uh, where you have two receivers wide to the right and wide to the left. You throw it to one, the other guy is the blocker. It's a very effective play for Tennessee, and it keeps the defense honest. So that, and Tennessee hasn't done this much. They did it a little bit last week, but you'd expect to see it this week against South Carolina tomorrow night uh, under the lights in Neeland, Is the downfield shots because the defense has to get you maybe load the box to a certain degree, and stop the run. Um, that's going to be to me the key for Tennessee. Is the fact that South Carolina's defensive line is among the best in the SEC? If you all saw that game in which they played Georgia, uh, the South Carolina Gamecocks played Georgia, um, number one team in the country for the record in Athens. First of all, they only held uh, the Dogs to 24 points, but also, and you know, they, listen, this this stuff matters. Uh, they got multiple pressures uh, on Georgia's quarterback uh, uh, Carson Beck. Uh, here's the issue, though for 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 the Gamecocks, and where I think Tennessee has a massive massive advantage. South Carolina's offensive line may just be the worst in the Southeastern Conference. It is awful. And a lot of a big reason for that is injuries. They've missed a lot of guys this year uh due to injuries. Tennessee's defensive lines, on the other hand, is among the best. They get to the quarterback. If Tennessee defensively, the game plan is if they can get pressure with four consistently on Spencer Rattler, great, great position to win this football game. Because and listen, this is why I this th- yeah. I remember where I was last year, and certainly, you know, doing the show the Monday after this happened when my vols were nine and one. Only losses to Georgia on the road. There's no shame in that. A lot of people lose to Georgia, okay? Only losses at at Georgia in Athens in a great position. I attended the next game. We beat the Breaks off Missouri. Penn and Hooker's last game is a vol uh, in, in Neyland. And the next week, you got unranked little old South Carolina who can't score offensively, who can't generate anything in the passing game, and all the Gamecocks did was uh, drop 60 on our heads. Kind of like a mini Miami Dolphins to a certain extent. We rushed four in the first half, couldn't get pressure, and Spencer Rattler was, had, had all the time in the world throwing to wide open receivers because the coverage broke down. Second half, we brought the blitz, but then he had one-on-one man-to-man coverage, and Spencer Rattler was just burning us every time with that. And Spencer Rattler's a guy, for you Oklahoma fans out there, I think my guy Parnell here at the Grid Network, if I'm not mistaken, I think Parnell's an Oklahoma fan, so he remembers as, as, as much as anybody, Spencer Rattler was the guy at the University of Oklahoma Sooners, right? He's the guy, I remember, there was a point in time in which he was the Heisman favorite under Lincoln Riley, and then you remember that game, the Red River rivalry, one of the biggest rivalries in college football, Oklahoma, Texas, in the Cotton Bowl. And Spencer Rattler plays poorly, and you want to know who he's replaced by? Maybe you've heard the name before, Kid by the name of Caleb Williams, who's now the head front head and shoulders Heisman front runner, and certainly is going to be the number one pick in the 2024 draft. A remarkable talent, and so Spencer Rattler transferred to South Carolina. There was concerns about whether he could bounce back there. South Carolina ended the year hot to their credit with one of those wins coming against my balls. But when all that's said and done, this maybe more than any game on Tennessee's schedule, even more than Georgia, because Georgia, that's the back-to-back national champions. That's the measuring stick game. Tennessee doesn't play them until the second to last week of the year in November. This game, more than any other, is the revenge game. Given what South Carolina did to this last year and that loss, not only did we lose a shot at the college football playoff, not only did our hopes for for that get dashed to a certain extent, but, and it wasn't like it was a dirty play. It was actually a non-contact injury. But our quarterback at the time, Hendon Hooker, Hendo Cinco, my guy, went down with an ACL tear in that football game. So it was, that stadium was like the house of horrors for my Vols. The, the good news is, it's in Neyland Stadium. Even better news, it's a night game. Even better news than that, as you can tell by my hoodie, for those of the podcast audience listening, the Vols, as they would call it, are going to go dark mode. Black helmets, black uniforms, you know, orange letters, uh, just all black, basically. Gloves, cleats, the whole bit. It's revenge time. And this is an opportunity with the uniforms that we're wearing to kind of, to a certain extent, maybe attend South Carolina's funeral the same way they wore black last year, which in fairness, that's you know they, they, they wear those uniforms a lot, what they did to us last year. They wore black to our funeral. Now it's time for us to wear black to theirs. So with that said, I know the line is Tennessee. What's, what's the line? Tennessee minus... 11 and a half. I think it went, it was one point twelve and a half. Um I would actually take the Gamecocks to cover tentatively, just because South Carolina is a weird team. When they're at their best, again, they did score 60 on my balls last year. They did hold they held the Georgia Bulldogs. The defending back to back defending champs to a field goal in the first half in Athens. And even the second half, albeit it was a rainstorm. In the second half, Georgia was good offensively, not special. So South Carolina at their peaks, they're a problem. And that defensive line especially is a problem. They produce a lot of NFL defensive linemen there, most notably Jadavion Clowney. When it's all said and done, I think Bazooka Joe, as we call him in, in Tennessee, outduels Spencer Rattler. Give me my balls to win this game, 38-28, in somewhat of a high-scoring affair. Uh, 38-28, my balls win over the South Carolina Gamecocks. We get revenge from last year. And we put ourselves in a position where, again, we're 21st ranked in the country now as we sit here today, but a position to potentially uh, maybe get a little higher. Again, there's some teams above us. Uh, Oregon State, I think they're going to lose tonight to Utah. I love Utah. So we jump Oregon State potentially, you know. Some teams above us that could lose as well. So needless to say, I feel feel pretty good. Pretty good about my Vols tomorrow against South Carolina. Going to be very fun going to be a very, very fun matchup, no question about it. And let me tell you something, y'all. If you haven't, if you've never watched, if there's any chance you never even watched or may have never paid attention to a ball game on television, I implore you at 7.30 Eastern or wherever you're at in the country, but 7.30 Eastern here on the East Coast, tune in to the SEC Network at 7.30 Eastern on the dot, maybe a little bit before, maybe 7.27, 7.28, and tune in. And just listen. Just turn your volume up and listen to that stadium. As the great, late, great John War, God rest his soul, the former voice of the Vols, heck, the all-time voice of the Vols, he, he would say, as as the the T opened in Knoxville, at Neyland Stadium, because the Vols run through a T, the power T, and they come out of their locker room and they, and they they show like they show on the jumbotron, they show the team about to run through the T, and slowly the the, the UT band, that's probably the Southland marching band, begins to open. And as John Moore would say, and the crowd begins to roar and roar and roar. It just gets louder, and the anticipation builds. If you've never seen it before, first of all, to experience it in person is goosebumps. But if you can experience it on television, just turn away from the game you're watching, just for a moment. Even if you're not even going to watch the game, which I certainly hope you do. But even if you don't, just turn on the television and just experience that. It is unlike anything that you'll see not just in college football or even in college sports, but in sports as a whole. Once again, put the final score up. Give me my Tennessee Vols over the South Carolina Gamecocks. We get revenge this year, folks. 38-28. to 28. We don't cover the spread because that's the rivalry game. These games tend to be funny in the SEC, so I'm going to take South Carolina the points, but give me the Vols to win outright by double digits. 38 to twenty. I think our offense is starting to maybe catch a little bit of a rhythm. Not fire, not the same fire we had last year. where We're basically unstoppable out here dropping 50 on the Knicks saving coach defense. But certainly, starting to gain more. Joe Milton seems to be more comfortable. We're getting healthier on the offensive line. We're going to start taking more shots down the field. The running game all season long has been excellent. So those out there who were calling for Josh Heupel's job, which was wild after the loss to Florida two weeks ago, shut up. Okay, shut up. We're going to get this win tomorrow Get to South Carolina, get to 4-1, continue keep rising up the ranks in college football. And the beauty of it is we get the win, and we go into the bye week. Go into the bye week. Get a week off after this W. Oh, boy. Parnell's in the comments. Parnell, by the way, did a show this, uh, this morning, Commanders Demand Podcast. Check that out in the grid. Parnell, imagine Bryson losing his mind if Tennessee lost to South Carolina for another year. I would be – listen, I was pissed when we lost to Florida – on uh two weeks ago in in the swamp but basically the way i i kind of reacted to it was you know what we can't win there We, we can't we again since 1977 listen to this stat my vols have won twice in the swamp since 1977. think about that jimmy carter by the way happy birthday to president jimmy carter god bless you sir 99 years old great man but anyways since he was prized, we won twice there in the swamp. It's unbelievable. So that's sort of how I, I, I sort of uh, compartmentalize that. Also, the fact that I'm looking at the top of the SEC, the Georgias of the world, the Alabamas of the world, the LSUs of the world, I'm like, you know, everybody looks kind of vulnerable. And that's kind of, and then we'll move on from the ball view. That's kind of the, my takeaway thus far in this early college football season is that Name the team. Like, a lot of people love Washington right now, and rightfully so. Washington looks great. I I love Penix Jr. there. Name the team in college football that looks great. That looks, okay, that's the favorite. Georgia hasn't. USC hasn't. Michigan hasn't. I think I had Michigan winning the national championship before the year. Ohio State hasn't. I mean, none of the, Texas had that win against Alabama, but props to them because that's a tough place to win. (laughs) <laughs> but Alabama can't score points. So who uh, among the 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 elite of the elite in college football who looks elite? We haven't seen it yet. Now it's a young season, somebody will separate, I assume. But I think this is what you're going to start to see uh with the with NIL, with the transfer portal is there will be more par- college football far more than pro sports needs parity. Now they need your 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 cream of the crops your Alabama's your you know your powerhouse your Georgia's, but college football uh, more than any sport does need parity and I'm not even a parity fan college football needs it. Okay, we got some comments from my man fellow Vols fan and Grid Network uh, 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 star Darian Hopkins. He says hashtag beat South Carolina hashtag go Vols. He says Notre Dame looks okay. Listen, they look good. Uh, it'd be nice if they had ten more than 10 players in the field against uh, Ohio State in that last play. But listen, they're well coached. I, I like their head coach. Um, Sam Hartman's a solid quarterback. Uh, and I really did think they were going to beat Ohio State, so I was wrong on that one. But... Uh, yeah, Darian, by the way, folks, again, check out. I mentioned Barry. He's commented. He's got a live show tonight. Parnell did a live show earlier today, Commander's Demand. It's Washington Commander's Podcast. Check that out. And uh, Darian Hopkins has a new Raiders podcast, Raiders Roundup, I think that's the name of the show, if I'm correct, uh, Darian, uh, Ra- Raiders Nation Roundup, is Raiders Roundup, Raiders Nation Roundup uh, here on the Grid Network. He's also got the Darian Hopkins Sports Show in which he uh, very often for big primetime marquee games will live stream his reaction uh, to the action. Uh, didn't mean for that to, to to rhyme, but you get what I'm saying. And uh, it's gotten unbelievable numbers on YouTube. People love, you know, tuning into that stuff. So he's done a great job. He's been an awesome addition to uh, to the grid. So, yeah, definitely shout out to Darian. And, again, of course, I, I love the fact he's a Vols fan. That's Love it. All right. So, once again, wait, we, we got another comment here. Let's see. I think it's Darian. Okay, yeah. Thank you very much, Darian. Darian says, the Raider Nation Roundup Podcast. Okay, so everybody check that out. Raider Nation Roundup Podcast uh, on the grid network. Uh, he just, he just uh, debuted it, uh, the other day. So definitely check that out. And, uh, my Steelers had us over there. I'm about to grab it in just a second for the quick break, but, um, go Steelers, Darian. You're my guy. I, we, we, we unite wholeheartedly in Tennessee, but great win by my Steelers over, um, you know, over your Raiders. Run the Army's race in person at the Pentagon. Army 10-Miler General Registration is now open. Go to Army10Miler.com to register today. General Registration presented by General Dynamics. Register today at Army10Miler.com. Should be an interesting game for Vegas. I'll predict week five in just a moment, but once again, that is the Volview for this week. Very excited about tomorrow against South Carolina 38-28 Vols. We'll see you next week for the Vol View for the bye week. Until then, this is Bryson Carver for the Vol View, signing off. Voice of John Ward, folks, never gets old, especially if you're a Vols fan. All right, another college football topic, and it seems like it's kind of become a staple of Carving Up Live. It's become a staple of a lot of people's shows, but specifically for my show, uh, the fourth segment of this show is... Uh, on Fridays at least, after the ball view, I tend to be talking about, let me straighten up the hat there, uh, I tend to be talking about the Colorado Buffaloes, because it's primetime Deion Sanders, the um, the notoriety and the recognition that he has brought there. Can I just say, too, because I want to pull this stat up, because it is unbelievable. I hope I had this saved on my phone, because it was pretty awesome. Hang on. Uh, about Deion Sanders and the the growth uh, that he has brought to Colorado and the, the you know certain uh new eyes uh that have have you know started watching the sport. I can't find the post. I don't know. See if I can find it here. Hang on because because I, I wanna have the numbers to back it up, but the amount of the the black viewership of college football has skyrocketed since Deion Sanders uh became the head coach at Colorado's uh at, at Colorado um I want to find it. I think it's up like 77%, uh, which is incredible. Um, I I can't find the stat. I, I don't know why I cannot find the stat, but I saw the other day he's uh the black viewership of college football is up like seventy-seven percent uh for Colorado. Also too. Um so so Dion's brought some <laughs> very notable people to uh to watch to watch the, the the you know these Colorado games live. Here's the celebrity guest list. And keep in mind they're playing USC, which we know USC Southern California, it's Hollywood, it's you know the land of the movie stars to a certain extent. The game is in Boulder. It's not at USC. It's not at the Coliseum. It's in Boulder, okay? Here's who's going to be attending this game. May you there's a, t- a chance you may have heard of these people before, okay? Some guy named LeBron James Other people named Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, Will Ferrell, Snoop Dogg, DJ Khaled. If you'd have told me, just tell me that, okay, USC's playing in the game. I'd have thought, okay, this is like a primetime game at the Coliseum. They're playing like Ohio State or somebody. No, no, no. Little Boulder Colorado is <laughs> bringing in these names to see Colorado. I mean, The Rock was there a couple weeks ago. I mean, it's incredible what Dion has done for college football and, and done for, you know, the, the recognition of it. It's, it's, it's amazing. I, mean, I think that Colorado-Colorado State game, which, for the record, on the East Coast kicked off at 10 o'clock, okay, and ended after 2 in the morning, was the highest streamed game in the history of ESPN. It is amazing what Dion has done at Colorado, um, and not not to not forget just notoriety. Deion's a darn good coach. What he did at Jackson State, the culture shift that he's he's had here at Colorado, getting that win at TCU to kind of kick this thing off. Uh, you know, recruiting is just going to be nuts for Colorado for the next you know com- for the coming years. Um, and, and you you heard primetime after they lost badly to Oregon this past Saturday. And with the Dan Lanning had the comment, we do this for wins. They do it for clicks, something like that. And uh and Dion said, okay, like get me now. Now's the time to get me because I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna have a better team. And what he means more than anything, I think, is better offensive line, better defensive line. Co- Colorado gets absolutely annihilated in the trenches. That's the weakness of their team. Um as for this game though, because they got USC, uh, the game happens to kick off at 10 a.m. Boulder time, uh, mountain standard time, noon here on the East Coast. It's going to be the big game uh, on Fox. Gus Johnson, the great Gus Johnson on the call. Joel Clapp, Jenny Taft, the whole crew is going to be over there. Again, all the celebrities I mentioned. Um, USC is a 21.5-point favorite on the road. We know the home team tends to get three points. Here's the thing. Now, they're giving USC almost a 90% chance to win this football game. If you would have asked me two weeks ago, because this is where we we said, okay, Colorado's got the tough game against TCU, but then, then they got Nebraska, who they should be, then they got Colorado State, who they should be, and they took care of business there. And this was the part of the schedule, at least the beginning of the schedule, we're like, oh, man, that's a that's a brutal stretch for Colorado. Is at Oregon and then home against USC. Those were like the first two kind of big test games for the Buffaloes. If you would have asked me two weeks ago what game do the do the Colorado Buffs have a better chance of winning, Oregon or USC? I have said USC. Oregon's a tough place to win. Oregon's great up front. Oregon's got an excellent quarterback in Bo Nix. Uh, they're well coached. That that's a t- that's a it's, a it's a it's tough environment to play. It's a very loud stadium, and that like that's a big national TV game. That's that's a lot in year one for Dion and that in that team to, to go out there and win. But my takeaway was hey. USC's unstoppable on offense and they can't guard me on defense. Their defense is horrendously bad. I actually feel like USC's going to win. Forget the final score, more convincingly than Oregon did last week, and here's why. First of all, I thought USC would at least keep it competitive against Oregon. They did not. Now that's not even just a knock that's not even a knock on Colorado. That's just Oregon's really good. Uh where's Oregon ranked today? Okay. They were 10th last week. Oregon, the Oregon Ducks are ranked ninth, uh, going to their game at Stanford, which they'll win easily. But we knew Oregon was better, but I th- I to picked to actually you know, plunged and picked Colorado to to win, and plunged I did. That was you know not a not my best moment. But as great as Shador Sanders is, first of all, of course, he's not Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is a generational talent at quarterback. I truly believe that. But the gap in USC's offensive line and Colorado's offensive line, it's night and day. As bad as USC's defense is, they're solid in the front seven. It's the back end where they're atrocious. There's I don't know who, not to call for anybody's job, but I don't know who the secondary coaches at USC uh, and Alex, Alex Grinch is the defensive coordinator. He's been pretty bad, you know, teamed up with Lincoln Riley back to the days of Oklahoma. So Lincoln Riley defenses tend to be pretty bad. But point is, there's no Travis Hunter. We saw the impact that had on both sides of the football. And something, too, we know how great Caleb Caleb uh, Williams is. USC's got this kid. If you haven't heard of him, you probably will tomorrow afternoon. Marshawn Lloyd. Not Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn Lloyd, okay? He's got 30, uh, 39 carries uh, for 349, okay? That averages out, too. This is unbelievable. Marshawn Lloyd averages nine yards a carry. USC struggled to stop Oregon's run game. And Oregon has a really good run game for the record. Nine yards a carry against the weakness of Colorado, which is their defensive line. The Colorado's defensive line is, 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 abso- is not good. By any stretch, by any measurable, they're not, they'll get better. They'll get better. will recruit. Dion will go to the transfer portal. They'll be better in the future. Right now, they're bad. Both Colorado's offensive and defensive lines are terrible. Shador, I feel like once again, maybe not quite as much as he was against Oregon, I think he's going to be running for his life to a certain degree. Not only that, it's not just that USC's offense is incredibly good and Caleb Williams is otherworldly great. USC, if I could pull up the stat here, USC this season offensively, and Caleb doesn't even play the fourth quarters of most of these games, averages 569 yards on average offensively. Colorado gives up 475. That's a bad combo. In order to beat USC, first of all, they're going to have to protect Shador Sanders. They're going to have to. Again, Shador's great at making throws out outside the pocket and is great in the pocket. But the reason he's had to make so many throws out of the pocket is because he's been under pressure so much. I mean, even Colorado State, for crying out loud, is getting pressure on him consistently. Like, guys, come on. But we forget sometimes, as many reinforcements as Dion brought to Colorado, there's a lot of guys still in this team that went 1-11 last year, and Colorado might have been the worst team in the FBS. In all Division One college football, potentially. They still have some of those guys still there. Not to take shots, but they still have some of those guys still there. Deion's going to bring reinforcements, obviously. In order to somehow win this game, they're going to have to keep a clean pocket consistently, and Colorado will have to score almost every time. No, no, no. They will have to score every time they touch the football. Every time. With most of them being touchdowns, you could have a field goal baked in there, here, and there. They will have to be... What's the... the, 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 the Denzel Washington quote from Remember the Titans, we will be perfect. You know, he's talking to his team. Colorado will have to be perfect offensively to win this game. And as good as they are, as great as Shador is, as great as Deion is as a head coach, they can't do that. Even against this USC defense. They'll score points. It'll be competitive-ish through about the first quarter and a half, through the first half in general. USC might hang 60 on Colorado's defense. I mean, Colorado's. I mean, it's Shiloh's dealing with injury. Shiloh Sanders, uh, Dion's oldest son, Travis Hunter's out. I mean, they are they are reeling uh, defensively, especially coming off of last week. Now, again, part of the part of the the, the thing with Colorado is, um, and this is what's great about Dion. This is what's great about any coach. When you get embarrassed and humiliated on national television, you tend to come back next week and play much better. I think I think Colorado will. I mean, it's hard for them to play to play much worse, and there are areas where where Oregon is better from a physicality standpoint than the Trojans are. I I don't see an avenue in which they they make USC's offense look average, maybe even slightly above average. So if I I, I didn't even put a final score graphic for this game, I'm so I'm so confident this will happen. And I'm not I'm not even pulling again. I love Colorado. You guys know I love Dion, but defended him the whole time. Um... I'm going to go 63. I'm dead serious when I say this. 63-28. Like, I think Colorado will put up points because USC's defense is terrible. 63-28. By the way, Colorado's got good receivers, too. They've got Weaver. They've got uh, a Horn, Jr., the son of the former Saints receiver. Uh, Mike Guido's the comments. Mike Guido, big college football guy. And by the way, won the 8 o'clock spot. Co-founder of the Grid Network won the 8 o'clock spot on Tuesday, uh, this past Tuesday. Mike says, as good as Dion is, Lincoln Riley is better. He he, he is. He's proven more. He's proven more. Um, he is the best offensive coach of this generation. There's no question about it. You, know, you consider the success that Baker Mayfield and uh, Kyler Murray had there. Both were the first pick in the draft. You've got Jalen Hurts with success. I mean, Jalen Hurts, I mean, we, we did we not kind of write him off for dead? As a, as a college football quarterback, here comes Lincoln Riley, kind of revitalizes Jalen Hurts' career, helps him mechanically. Look what Jalen Hurts is doing in the NFL now. Like, the, the guy is the quarterback whisperer. Like, if you are teamed up with this guy and you are not successful, it's your fault. It's not Lincoln's. So it's, it, yeah, he's, yeah, and Dion is spectacular. I think Dion's an excellent coach. But yes, Lincoln has proven more. He's got to get those defenses fixed, though, if USC wants to contend for any national titles. I'll tell you what though, how how good is the Pac-12? I mean, like I, I've said this for the last few weeks. <laughs> you know, the Pac-12, this is really their last year of real true you know, relevance. <laughs> they're, they're going out on a bang, man. You got here's the ranked teams I got. Okay. Washington, USC, Oregon, Utah. By the way, they're ranked in that order in a row from 7 to 10. They let me make okay. They've also got uh uh Washington State, they got Oregon State. Okay, that's six ranked teams. By the way, I think you I still like UCLA. I, I do. I, I I can't. Maybe it's just me, kind of like Chip Kelly having a, a soft spot for him and what he did at Oregon. I think he was an excellent coach at Oregon. Um, but I still like UCLA. I know they lost, only scored seven points against Utah, but Utah has a really really good defense uh, in their in, in their defense. Didn't mean for it to have a play on words there, but you get what I'm saying. Pac-12 is really good. Now, the SEC, which, as we say in the SEC, it just means more, has uh, appeared to make a, a little mini-comeback. Florida's in the top 25 via a win against us, so I don't love that. But Florida's in the top 25. Missouri is in the top 25 after a big-time win against Kansas State. So, yeah, that's... Again, then we'll move to the back to the NFL. Name the great team in college football. I, I don't think there is one. I really don't. Washington looks great. Georgia... We kind of figure when Georgia plays those big games, we're going to kind of turn it on. They're just kind of sleepwalking at this point. They're they're in um you know they're in cruise control until they face the Tennessees and face the the, the Floridas and the Missouris, uh, which you know two of those three teams can't compete physically at all with Georgia. So I don't think there's a great team in co- right now. There's not. At least I haven't seen it through four weeks. But maybe week five somebody will will uh, will show up and, and and stand out. Okay. So I had a rough week four predicting. I mean rough. We only went eight and eight. That's my second eight and eight week thus far in the season. Predicting games, and I'm tracking my 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 record against the spread. I'm not gonna. My record's solid against the spread thus far this season. But I'll show it at, at some point, maybe mid season. I'll show my total record. It's not because I'm embarrassed of it, but uh, you know, maybe that factor is in some. If we're being honest, whatever. But I'm want to know. I tend to get the Thursday night games right. I'm always, I'm always good in the Thursday games. But got it right. Took Detroit. Took Detroit to cover. So 1-0 to start week four. Ne- really need a bounce back week. Ne- need the, kind of my breakthrough. I'm kind of like I'm kind of like that great team in college football we're all looking for. Just need a breakthrough. Need that opportunity to kind of show uh, how, how good I can be at my best. So we can get the background music going right here. For my week five. Oh, sorry, week four. Week four NFL predictions right now. We will start. We will start with the first overseas game of the NFL season in London. It is the Atlanta Falcons with uh, featuring uh, featuring the Atlanta Falcons going up against London's own. To a certain extent. It feels like they're a London zone at this point. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville is a three-point favor in this game. It's a neutral site. Uh, but I'd say those be. Listen, the Jags play every year in London. So I'm saying I'd say we'll probably have some Jags fans to a certain extent. Again, Jacksonville favor minus three and a half. The game kicks off at about 9.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. So, for Jacksonville, listen, this is a team that is at least through the first three weeks, not near as good as I thought it was. Certainly defensively, I thought the defense, just because they were young, kind of inexperienced, would would slowly kind of get better. And they still can. we got a long NFL season. There's another 14 games, including Sunday to go. However, offensively, I'm here. Now, I'll tell you, I did not realize until he started playing poorly, or not even that he started playing poorly, I apologize, that the team started playing poorly to start this year, that there were so many Trevor Lawrence haters out there. Would you imagine this, that despite the one and two start, despite Trevor Lawrence's numbers not being quite what I thought they'd be in that I predicted him to be the MVP before the year, still think that's, excuse me, potentially in the cards if he bounces back, long season to go. Trevor Lawrence, think about this, ladies and gentlemen, Trevor Lawrence is the second highest graded quarterback in the NFL. Number two. You know, let that that sink in for just a moment. Trevor Lawrence, why is that? He's running for his life. The the drops have been, for a Jacksonville receiving core that I still really like, with Calvin Ridley, with Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, excellent tight end. Man, I don't know what they're putting on their gloves before the games. They are struggling. They got a bad case of the drops right now. And Trevor Lawrence is paying the price for it, not just in terms of his stats, not just in terms of team success, but even in terms of the media right now. So this is an opportunity. This is a get-right game for Jacksonville. Atlanta's got a solid defense. They made some additions to this offseason. They're still trying to put it together. The problem for Atlanta is Desmond Ritter is, is you're talking about a one of the best quarterbacks in the league on one side. I, think, I still think he's the third best in football. I, I promise it will, it will materialize itself out. And one of the worst. I, again, Desmond Ritter's fine. I take him as my backup. With as many offensive pieces as, as Atlanta has, a good offensive line, excellent young running back, Drake London's good, Kyle Pitts is good, you he, he, he gotta show me more than what he's shown me through the first part, uh, part of his career going back to the end of last year and coming into this season, uh, so with, when it's all said and done... I do think Jacksonville covers. I'm going to give them the W to get back on track. It's a get-back-on-track game for Jacksonville, 24-20 to over at the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta tends to play a lot of close games. They'll keep it tight, uh, but when it's all said and done, the Jaguars get the W uh, on Sunday morning to kick off uh, Week 4's Sunday action. Give me Jacksonville, 24-20, to cover that spread. Moving on to the afternoon games, it is my Pittsburgh Steelers against the Houston Texans, the sneaky, solid Houston Texans, who got a win at the aforementioned Jaguars. House last week, CJ Stroud. We talk about how, all right, I've talked about early in the show how Jordan Love progressively looks worse and worse and worse on a week to week basis. CJ Stroud's the opposite. And by the way, CJ Stroud's a rookie, okay, in a worse situation, Houston than Green Bay. You know, week one against Baltimore, eh, week two against the Colts started to show some signs, you know, toward the end of the game. Last week against Jacksonville was excellent, excellent. Outdoor Trevor Lawrence looked great. Tank Dell's a good wide receiver. Uh, They've got a good running back in Damian Pierce. The offensive line's been surprisingly solid through the first three games of the season, Uh, but they've got as big of a test as you could have for the first part of their new year in the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I strongly believe have the best defense in football in large part because they've kind of had to be the best defense in football. They have to be great on a week-to-week basis just to keep their teams in it, or the, 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 the team in it, because the offense tends to struggle from time to time. Here's a big story really the biggest story coming in this matchup, J.J. Watt, maybe you've heard of him, he's pretty good, three-time defensive player of the year winner, first bout Hall of Famer when he's eligible, J.J. Watt's gonna get his old number 99 retired in Houston at NRG Stadium, and his his brother, his little brother, T.J. Watt's gonna be in the house, for all I know, he may, I I don't know if the jersey retirement will happen at halftime before the game, maybe T.J. Watt's there, I don't know, so certainly, you expect them to be, you know, some kind of embrace between him and his brother JJ. Hughes' offensive line again has been solid, but they ain't played TJ Watt yet, who has six sacks through the first three games. I have a feeling this is gonna be that game for TJ Watt that he just absolutely takes defensive player of the year of uh, the defensive player of the year, uh, 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 front runner spot by the just by a stranglehold and runs to the you know runs to first place in that regard. Bold prediction for week four. T.J. Watt has four sacks. You heard me right. Four sacks against C.J. Stroud and the Texans. I think the offense plays better than it did last week. Pittsburgh's offense looks solid through three quarters against the Las Vegas Raiders. Kind of cooled down in that fourth quarter. Played a little too conservative for my taste, although they had a big third down connection, which I liked uh, from Kenny Pickett. So I think it was Calvin Austin. Speaking of Calvin Austin, he's a guy that can burn you down the field. We know what George Pickens brings to the table as a deep threat and in the intermediate passing game. They'll use Najee Harris and, and uh, Jalen Warren in the running game. Uh, offensive line, I don't think will be too challenged against this Texans D-line against this Texans front. Uh, I don't think this is a game, at least I hope not, that Matt Canada can screw up. Certainly Mike Tomlin will not screw it up. TJ Watt gets four sacks on the afternoon against the Houston Texans and my Pittsburgh Steelers. Do we have the final score? There it is. Get to Three and one with a 27 to 17 victory. Again, I forgot to mention their two and a half point favorites in Houston, road favorites in Houston. They get the W 27 to 17 over the Houston Texans. To now, to me, in my eyes, the best game of week four. Talk of the league. The Miami Dolphins at 3-0 against a team that's kind of dominated that division for the last you know few years in the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo at home, a two and a half point favorite. So First of all, a big storyline coming in this game is DeMar Hamlin is going to make his return. It was reported today that with Jordan Poyer, the starting safety out, he's you know he's not going to play this game. DeMar Hamlin's going to be back in the lineup in Buffalo. I cannot imagine the ovation he's going to get there. It's going to be awesome to see. And frankly, I hope he gets a pick in this game. And that's I know two of fans may get mad at me, but I genuinely hope he gets a pick in this game or makes some kind of big play, uh, whether the Bills win or lose this game. To to you know kind of like fully complete his comeback. He's already completed the comeback to this point. He cheated he not cheated death. He beat death. Okay? Like that this is an unbelievable kid. Unbelievable story. So props to him. He's making his return. As for the game itself, so again, Buffalo is missing Jordan Poyer, who's next starting safety. Buffalo is also missing Von Miller, although they have they, <laughs> they haven't really missed him through the first three games of the season because they're they're second in the NFL in sacks. Offensively, Josh Allen has played pretty clean football. He threw a bad pick last week against Washington. But listen, quarterbacks throw picks. We won't hold that too much against him. It's the reckless plays. Quarterbacks throw interceptions. But it's the reckless plays from Josh Allen. the The plays that can absolutely be avoided. Whether it's hurtling guys five yards short of the first down sticks. Or doing dumb stuff at the goal line, which he did last year against the Vikings. And did, I think it was week two against the Vegas Raiders making bow-handed decisions in that regard. So that's going to be key for Josh Allen. This is a Dolphins defense that has been solid through the first part of the year. Struggled in week one against the LA Chargers. But week two, it's New England. But looked good. Got, got, some, got some turnovers. Did a good job of stopping the run. This gonna be their biggest test. Buffalo's looked good the last couple weeks offensively. 30-plus scored in both. For Miami, though, and I think this is going to be the key. So... Miami's offensive line, to me, to me to win the game, is going to have to be excellent. Because I mentioned Buffalo's second in the NFL in sacks. And you remember last year, the two games that Miami lost when they played the 49ers and the Chargers. Remember that game I was ripped to the next day when they lost to the Chargers because the Chargers were missing multiple defensive starters. Uh, and let's be honest, Justin Herbert had the coaching disadvantage and still does uh, You know, in this regard. We saw that week one. But the point is, what did those defensive coordinators do? What do these defensive coaches do to adjust to Miami when they're kind of that high-flying offense? They jammed Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, who will play in this game after coming back from a the concussion. They jammed the receivers at the line of scrimmage because they could get consistent pressure on Tua. That is going to be the key. Do you keep Raheem Mostert? Do you keep one of your other running backs in the backfield uh, to chip? Do you keep a tight end in there to give Tua that extra half second to get the ball out of his hands? We know that's the you know kind of the thing for Tua that he's great at is quick decisions, getting the ball out of his hands fast. He's going to have to in this game. This is going to be a game that I think I'm going to go and put up the final score uh, if we have it here. Yeah, Miami Dolphins like win this game, take the Dolphins in the points and to win an outright 30 to 23. This can be a game where it's kind of a methodical day offensively for Miami. It's going to look nothing. This goes without saying. This is going to look nothing like that game against the Denver Broncos in which they scored 70, which is almost unprecedented where it's a bunch of big plays down the field high flying it's gonna be a bunch of methodical drives i think josh allen he can't i love josh allen at least i want to so bad and i like him as a guy but josh allen won't be able to help himself he'll have a couple of bad turnovers Put Miami in a short field. Dolphins win this game, 30 to 23, over the Buffalo Bills. My man Philip Chenault to the comments. What's up, Philip? He says I've got the Bills winning against the Dolphins. I feel like this is going to be a shootout like last year. The Bills are a more rounded team. Interesting with their defense and offense. Bills get it done, 34 to 31. That is certainly a shootout. 30. That, that'd be a very exciting football game. Uh, and of course, there's an avenue for Buffalo to win if they can get pressure on Tua. That to me is the key for, for the Bills to win this game. But it's all going to come down Miami's offensive line, which has been excellent through the first part of this year against Buffalo's defensive line, which has also been excellent to start this NFL season. Miami wins over Buffalo, in my view, 30-23. to 23. So take the Dolphins and the points. It is now time... Let me pull up the graphic here. Here we go. It's time for Bryce's bleak Path. This is... This is a very deserving game of that. They should have... I saw a memes account, an NFL meme account, say we should flex this game to 3 in the morning so that nobody has to watch this terrible football. It's the Denver Broncos at 0-3 against the Chicago Bears, also at 0-3. Denver as a a three-and-a-half point road favorite in Soldier Field. So, I'm going to have a... This is not as bold of a prediction as T.J. Watt getting four sacks on Sunday, but it's relatively bold. I think, crazy as this sounds, folks, I actually think we may be in for a little bit of a shootout. Because while both offenses... Now, Denver's has been fine from time to time. They were okay against Washington offensively, just bad at the second half, Russell Wilson in particular. But... I have a feeling that, given how bad these defenses look to start the season, I think we could have a mini shootout in Chicago. Listen, Justin Fields has been publicly criticized and might be rightfully so. I get the offensive line's bad, and that's fine. That's fine. But he's not making quick decisions. He's not getting the ball out of his hands quick enough. Now, some of that's coaching, too, in fairness. And I criticize Matt Canada with Kenny Pickett in week one for running a bunch of long developing plays where Kenny Pickett's having to stand there in the pocket. Niners are collapsing on him. I think this is an opportunity here for uh, for the Chicago Bears to do something kind of opposite of that. Uh, Denver's pass rush is not good. Denver's secondary this year, and I love Sertan. Denver's secondary has been atrocious through the first three games of the season. Every quarterback they played, even Jimmy Garoppolo. And you guys know I'm not a Garoppolo guy. Even Jimmy Garoppolo looks uh, half decent against this defense. Okay, in week one. So, uh, now I think Justin Fields plays fine. Nothing crazy. Nothing like what maybe some, including myself, expected coming into this season. As for Russell Wilson the Broncos, they were the embarrassment in the NFL, not just getting beat by 50, but giving up 70 to the Dolphins. Uh, I think this is an opportunity for Sean Payton. and This is kind of a, this isn't like a do or die for his job type of situation here, but this is the, we may look back in January as the Who lost this game for Caleb Williams' game to a certain extent? I think it will be the Chicago Bears who lose. Give me the Broncos in kind of a somewhat of a shootout because both defenses are awful and both offenses are capable. Russell's obviously the better quarterback and has been fine through the start of this year. He'll just need to be better in the fourth quarter. Broncos win 31-27. They do cover the three and a half point spread. Give me the Denver Broncos 31-27 over the Cleveland Browns. It is now time for my favorite segment uh, in the NFL every single week on Carving Up Live. It's time for... I were a betting man. I'm taking me a good old look at an AFC North divisional matchup. It's the Baltimore Ravens and it is the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland is a point and a half point favorite in this game, so by the skin of their teeth, close to a pick'em. I think this has a Baltimore win written all over it. And here's why. So the Ravens, again, getting. There's one thing getting humiliated, which the Broncos did. I was talking about Colorado got humiliated by Oregon. They'll play better this week, albeit they'll lose to USC. But Baltimore should not have lost that football game to the Indianapolis Colts. Special teams wasn't good. Lamar wasn't good. Defense gave up big plays towards the end. They struggled in that regard. I like Gardner Minshew, always have. That's not a game that the Colts should win. When Baltimore has the running game that they have in crappy weather, that's a game they're supposed to win. The good news, though, for the Ravens they got their left tackle coming back. They've got their starting safety coming back. And for the Browns, Deshaun, who had his best game as a Brown last week against Tennessee, reports are saying he's not even throwing at practice. He's got a shoulder injury. So whether or not he's even able to play is a mystery. Uh, Baltimore is a great, great organization. Uh, Even I can say that as a Steelers fan. uh, An excellent roster. A prideful roster. They they they're pissed about what happened last week. This is an opportunity for them to kind of bounce back. So, I think what's all said and done. Take the Ravens uh, plus a point and a half to win this game outright, twenty six to sixteen uh, against. Listen, it's a great Browns defense, one of the best in football. Um, but I I, don't, I just don't think they're I don't think um you know th- their offense will be able to generate uh, or not that their offense. I don't I don't think um uh, the Browns offense rather will be able to generate enough points to really keep up with with Baltimore's high flying attack. Give me. The Baltimore Ravens 26-16 over the Cleveland Browns in my, if I were a betting man, game. Uh, it is now time for, again, we, we I don't know if I've ever done this segment uh, three times, or a, a different segment prediction-wise, three games in a row. But it is now time for my upset of the week. You may think I'm crazy on this one. Give me the Carolina Panthers over the Minnesota Vikings in our second 0 three versus 0 three game and here is why so obviously take the take the panthers plus four and a half and to win outright 27 to 26 so minnesota is a team that in terms of the vibes around that locker room in terms of the the feeling around the organization not a whole lot of positive i mean a, a an optimist a vikings fan can say hey come on our offense is one of the best in the nfl in terms of moving the football down the field we just can't stop turning the football over Well that matters. (laughs) That's a that's a part of the game. That, That that's a factor in whether or not you're able to win or lose. This is a Carolina defense that is fully capable. We saw in week two against the Saints fully capable of turning quarterbacks over, turning the football over, Uh, and Kirk Cousins has been a guy who's been very reckless, especially against Tampa, Uh, and then last week uh, against the Los Angeles Chargers, the game-ending interception, in which he really tried to force force the ball in there to TJ Hawkinson, cost the Vikings the game there at the end after the Brandon Staley blunder, the latest Brandon Staley blunder for that matter. But listen, Bryce Young's coming back from injury, He's had a week or an extra week to kind of get his body right, get his mind right. I imagine the kid, who's you know really really good kid, really hardworking. Uh, I don't love him just because of his his size is a massive concern, but I bet he's watched a lot of film. He saw Andy Dalton play last week against the Seahawks, played fine, uh, you know, g- given the circumstances. So this is not a Vikings defense, and I, this is I pick Minnesota gets the playoffs this year for the reason that I thought their offense would r- would remain one of the better ones in the league and that Brian Flores would fix the Vikings' defense, and I love Brian Flores. He really hasn't. I don't know if it's a coaching issue. I don't know if it's just a personnel a lack of talent issue. Maybe a little bit of both. They can't stop anybody. Baker Mayfield. We saw what Philadelphia did to him. Baker Mayfield looks excellent. Excellent against this Vikings' defense on the road. This is in Carolina. Carolina. It's a well-coached team. Frank Reich, the defense, is looking to bounce back after a rough performance against the Seattle Seahawks. Minnesota will move the ball, but I think they'll settle for a lot of field goals. They'll turn the football over twice. I'll say two fumbles, one by Kirk Cousins, maybe one by, by, a, uh, by Justin Jefferson or somebody. So once again, upset the week. Give me the Carolina Panthers. They take advantage of the Vikings' carelessness with the football. 27-26, to 26, Bryce Young gets his first win in the NFL, and Frank Reich gets his first win as the Panthers' head coach. Let's move on to a really interesting one. Uh, this one is teeter-tottered between one team being favored by one Right now, it's 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 uh, it's even. Actually, no, no. Let me never mind. This t- the road team's favored uh, by a point. It's the Los Angeles Rams and the Indianapolis Colts. Rams right now, and this is fluctuated throughout the week, are a one point favorite. So, um, I'm looking at this one, saying, okay, the Rams. It's a short week. They're coming off of a, a rough road loss to the team they beat in the Super Bowl not too long ago, the Cincinnati Bengals. What was just Odd about Los Angeles is they'd run the football so effectively, and with a struggling Matt Stafford and a struggling receiving core, and frankly, a struggling pass blocking offensive line, they totally went away from it. It was very strange. So, I think this is an opportunity to kind of bounced back in that regard, except for the fact Anthony Richardson's back this week for the Colts and the limited action he got before the concussion the first game against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the second game against Houston. Man. No rookie quarterback, including C.J. Stroud, has looked really good. No rookie quarterback has looked as comfortable in a new system in the NFL than uh, than Anthony Richardson has through this point of the season. I simply don't think this is a Rams secondary that could stop the passing game in Indianapolis, which looked pretty good last week against a very good Ravens secondary with Gardner Minshew. I think they'll expose the Rams in the running game with Anthony Richardson. Um, I think this uh, this is going to be the Week 5 discussion, so starting on Monday— is going to be centered around. Hey, Indianapolis may be a little bit better than we think. Give me the Colts pretty easily, thirty-one to twenty. So take the Colts plus a point, minus a point. It depends. Again, the line has just went all over the place uh, throughout the week. So take the Colts. It may be a pick'em game, you know, by, by kickoff. But give me the Colts thirty-one to twenty over the Los Angeles Rams in this matchup to get to a very surprising three and one and leading the AFC South. I like Shane Steichen a lot. The coaching hire, I grew to like Anthony Richardson as a talent, as a prospect. They may be even further along than I thought they were this season. So props to Colts, I think they get the W, thirty-one to twenty over the L.A. Rams. Moving on to an NFC South matchup, you got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. Saints are a three-point favorite, which you know what that means. It is a pick 'em game if it were a neutral site, but it's not a neutral site. It's at the Superdome in New Orleans, one of the loudest venues in football. Here's what I'm looking at. So. No, Derek Carr. Derek Carr. I shouldn't say no, Derek Carr. It's unlikely, at least from what I'm gathering, that Derek Carr is going to play this game. He, of course, injured his shoulder against the Green Bay Packers. Jameis Winston came in, was fine, moved the ball, but was not able to put up any points against that Packers uh, defense in Lambeau. So you get an opportunity, come back home, home cooking. You're you're, you're obviously very comfortable at La- or not uh, in the Superdome. You got Tampa Bay coming in off a short week, and they are real a man. They're struggling uh, coming off that brutal loss to the to the Philadelphia Eagles, in which they. Got got completely manhandled up front. This is a Saints defensive line that can do the exact same. I think Baker's going to be running for his life a lot. As for Jameis Winston, this he's playing his former team. Of course, the Bucks drafted him number one back in 2020. I'm sorry, back in 2015 out of Florida State. There were a lot of picks, a lot of bad picks, didn't pan out into what they thought he'd be. And then they signed some guy named Tom Brady and had a lot of success, won a Super Bowl with him. And Jameis has been in New Orleans ever since. He gets an opportunity to start against his old team. Tampa's defense is fine. They haven't really played th- that many uh, great quarterbacks. Jameis certainly does not qualify as that, but he's got the weapons. Olave Thomas, Alvin Kamara comes back this week. Uh, so I think it's just going to be too much for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Give me, uh, if we have the great, yeah, give me the, uh, the the New Orleans Saints to win this game 22-17 to cover the three-point spread. New Orleans wins uh, without Derek Carr. I don't think Derek Carr is going to play this game. 22-17 Saints over the Buccaneers. Here's a fascinating one we got another uh, divisional matchup here. You've got the Washington Commanders, our buddy Parnell, Commanders Demand here on the grid. Check it out. The Washington Commanders and the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles, ladies and gentlemen, a big favorite at home. Minus nine. Minus nine Philadelphias. Okay? So they are a lot of folks I saw have kind of changed their Super Bowl pick this week. Hey, Philadelphia is going to win it all. Which, me personally, you guys know, pick integrity is near and dear to my heart. To me, when you make a pick, doggone it, you stick with the pick. You live and die by the pick. That's why I didn't officially change my Super Bowl pick last year when the team I picked to win it, all the Broncos. <laughs> well, they 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 hit the they hit the wall pretty quickly. The point is though, I see a lot of people switch their pick to Philadelphia, and they've got good reason to, because. They are the best team in football when it comes to beating you up front at the line of scrimmage on the offensive line and on the defensive line. They showcase that once again against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and props to them for doing so. Here's my concern, though. Washington's defensive line, I certainly didn't show it, and that was my upset of the week. I was badly wrong on that one against Buffalo. Embarrassing home performance by the Commanders. This is an opportunity. Again, we talk about it. It's it's we do don't—we sometimes don't give this enough uh, credit for humiliation. Now, it wasn't like on a national stage. It wasn't on Sunday or Monday night football. It wasn't against a team that they should have beaten. No, they played Buffalo. Buffalo is an objectively better team than Washington today. However, you've heard Eric Bieniemy, who's an excellent, he's proven thus far an excellent offensive coordinator with Washington. Certainly was the first two games of the season. Eric Bieniemy's talking about, hey, this is our, this was an embarrassing performance. Sam Howell was awesome awful against the the Buffalo Bills. They've still got the weapons. They've still got a good offensive line, which is going to have to be good against the likes of Philadelphia's defensive line, which can get to the quarterback, stop the run the whole bit. Uh, I will take Philadelphia to win, and Jalen Hurts, by the way, to have his best game of the year thus far. Obviously, Washington did upset Philly, handed them their first loss of the year last year on Monday Night Football, but that said, I will take Philadelphia to win, but nine points is a lot. Divisional familiarity is a real thing. Nine points is a lot. Washington's not a bunch of bums now, okay? Philadelphia may be the best team. I don't think they're the best team in the NFC, but they may be. I don't know. We'll find out as as time goes on. But nine points a lot. Give me Commanders plus. Uh, give, give me the pa- Commanders plus nine. But Philly went out right twenty seven to twenty four. Uh, last game in the uh, one o'clock window: the Cincinnati Bengals and the Tennessee Titans. This is an interesting one. So Cincinnati is a two and a half point favorite in this game. This was almost my if I were a bet man game because of the fact look. Cincinnati's coming off of a underwhelming uh, performance offensively against what I don't think is that good of a Rams defense, uh, even with Aaron Donald that good of a Rams defense. Uh, but but momentum's a real thing. They feel good about themselves, and most importantly, and I think this could be a key to the game. That defense in, in Cincinnati, <laughs> when they're on, they look really good. Even dating back to last year. Uh, Lou, Lou Amarano, I think is how you say, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, their defensive coordinator, has been a mastermind. Even with, with them losing some of their starting safeties, they've been good. Their front seven is among the best in the NFL and doesn't get enough credit for it. And I think to a certain extent, that's going to really, really expose Tennessee's really bad offensive line. They can't, they can't generate anything positive outside of a deep ball to DeAndre Hopkins every once in a while. Uh, the Tennessee Titans can at least. Uh, Derrick Henry looks like he's, 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 listen, a lot of carries takes a toll on your body at that position especially, so it's really, it's really hurt Derrick Henry's production in, in a big way, so this is almost my, if I were a Batman game, give me the Cincinnati Bengals to win relatively comfortably, 25 to 10 over the Tennessee Titans, again, Tennessee just can't do anything offensively, Cincinnati hasn't to this point, but the the, the ceiling is much higher, higher with the Bengals on the offensive side of the ball, and certainly defensively, I think they're going to, to hold Tennessee uh, hostage and keep them you know, keep them going in terms of their offensive woes. Give me the Bengals twenty-five to ten over the Tennessee Titans. Moving on to the afternoon slate of games, at least if you're on the East Coast. It's in, in a lot of divisional matchups I'm noticing this week. AFC West matchup, Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders, as as uh as as Chris Berman would say. Against the Los Angeles Chargers in LA, and that's probably going to be a Raiders home game for all we know because the Chargers don't play home games. I feel bad for Justin Herbert, man. as I mentioned that before? But Chargers are favored by five, minus five at home. So this, this is a weird one. So you've got two coaches. I don't buy either. Josh McDaniels, Brandon Staley, and two defenses I don't buy either. The Chargers because of their head coach, Brandon Staley, and the Raiders just because of personnel. They're just simply not that talented on the defensive side of the football. There were, and again, this is why I don't, I'm don't. i not ready to just praise Matt Canada as if he's fixed the Steelers' offense. You know, Pittsburgh's offense should, should look good. Gets a bad Raiders defense. They've been that, that, That's why I'm so concerned about Denver and the Broncos uh, from the get-go of this season because of the fact that they looked below average against that Raiders uh, defense start the year. We know that the staff that they have not been a top 19 defense. Back to the days of Derek Carr. They cannot get that side of the football corrected. So they're on the road against the LA Chargers again. It might as well be at home because I promise you there will be more Raiders fans than Chargers fans. Chargers will have to bring their AI fans back out. Okay, kind of creepy, but they'll kind of they'll probably have to. Um. Here's the big factor, though. Raiders are not going to have Jimmy Garoppolo for the game. You guys know I've never been a big Jimmy G guy. But he is solid. He is capable, if everything is right around him, to make plays, to make big-time throws. And he did to a certain extent in the fourth quarter against my Steelers last week, but just wasn't able to get it done there at the end. Josh Jacobs was completely, completely shut down uh, against uh, against Pittsburgh last week. I think he'll have a bigger game this week. But I believe, if, it, if I'm not mistaken, I think Aiden O'Connell, the rookie out of Purdue, looks like he's going to be the, uh, the guy making the start uh, against the, the Chargers. I think, again, as bad as I don't like Brandon Staley, I don't really like Josh McDaniels as the head coach either and the quarterback gap. Aiden O'Connell's fine. Aiden O'Connell actually beat my Vols, out Hendon Hooker in a bowl game a year and a half ago, so the, the kick can play. I, I no disrespect to him uh, and his weapons, certainly. Devontae Adams, the frustration is just growing with him. He could be traded by the deadline in about a month. I think Justin Herbert absolutely torches, torches this Raiders defense. Give me... The, oh my gosh, the scores were on. That says 32 23 uh, Raiders. It should say 32 23 Chargers. I apologize. But again, 32 23 LA Chargers. We'll get that fixed before the Instagram post tomorrow, I promise, or on Sunday. I promise you that. Moving on now to the New England Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys in Jerry World. Dallas is a six and a half point favorite. This happens to be the return of Ezekiel Elliott to Dallas. Zeke, of course, he had some very successful years early in his career, uh, wearing the star on the side of his helmet, made a couple Pro Bowls, led the league in rushing twice. And, of course, it, it didn't go quite as planned once he signed the contract, just kind of lost his fastball to a certain extent. His running back was still a good pass blocker. We get what that is. Here's the thing, though. Uh, again, this is, maybe this should be the theme for Week 4 when you get embarrassed... Or Dallas did not get embarrassed by the Cardinals. They competed. It was The game was in doubt until about the last five minutes-ish of that game when Josh Dobbs led that scoring drive. And so it was capped off when Dak threw that interception in the end zone. We all know, though, Dallas. As, as much as I love Dobbs. That's my man, Space Dobbs. About to predict the Cardinals game in just a second. But... That's not a game Dallas should lose. Dallas is more talented at virtually every position than Arizona. And people bag on McCarthy. McCarthy's a better coach than Jonathan Gannon. He is. Let's, that's not, let's not have that discussion today. New England comes in. People are ripping their quarterback to shreds, rightfully so. I'm being I'm being one of them, and I've been leading this train for a while. The whole Mac Jones is a dirty player, and it's hard to be a dirty player quarterback, but Mac Jones has somehow managed to pull that off. Uh, quite impressive, I must say, although it's, it's resulting in a lot of injuries. But Mac Jones, the whole media is ripping him, again, rightfully so. Dallas coming in, defense got embarrassed, gave up 200 yards rushing to the Cardinals. The Cardinals, you're telling me that this Cowboys defense with their old teammate, Old buddy Zeke coming back in the building. You're telling me they're gonna they're gonna sit up there and say, yeah, let's. He, he's gonna he's gonna have his biggest game as an NFL pro since what 2018. No, that's not gonna happen against our defense. As for Dallas's offense, the narrative surrounding them is, ma'am, they move the ball, they they cannot score in the red zone. That's gonna be corrected. Da- Dak. The last time he played a Belichick defense was awesome at Foxborough. He's within the friendly confines of Jerry World now. I think Dallas. This is a. Again, to use the term from earlier, this is a get-right game. Give me the Cowboys convincingly to cover the spread. 34 to 16 over the New England Patriots. Dallas wins this football game 34 to 16. 34-16 uh, Dallas. Again, I, I don't uh, This defense is gonna terrorize Mac Jones. I mean terror and I gotta admit to you, I don't I don't want anybody getting hurt out there, just for the record. But I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of enjoy enjoy what Dallas is gonna do to, to Mac. And Dak out there. Exposing a Belichick defense once again. you gotta you gotta worry about Christian Gonzalez. Watch out for Christian Gonzalez, a kid I loved at Oregon. But Dak will be great. Cowboys offense will be great. Crack Cowboys defense will be better than great, uh, especially stopping the run, so I got the Cowboys winning. Last afternoon game, it is the Joshua Dobbs-led Arizona Cardinals against, to me, right now, the best team in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers, and the line would certainly indicate that. They are 14-point favorites at home against the Arizona Cardinals, of course, with good reason. uh, real, Real quick, though, for my Vols fans out there, I know the Vol view was an hour ago, but a fun fact, okay? So, Josh Dobbs- on October 1st, 2016, against the Georgia Bulldogs, completed a Hail Mary pass. I remember where I was when it happened. It was insanity. A Hail Mary pass at Georgia, Tennessee's last win against Georgia for the record, to Jawan Jennings, who just so happens to play wide receivers, one of the Niners wide receivers there in the Bay Area. It, what are the chances they meet on the seven-year anniversary of the Hail Mary, as we call it in Tennessee, and East Tennessee, the Dobnail Boot. Okay, playing off the words from the old Georgia radio broadcaster back in the day. The Dobbnail boots, seven years to the day, October 1st, 2016. Dobbs, Jennings meet, October 1st, 2023. So just for my Vols fans out there, I I figure you guys would would appreciate that. So (laughs) this is, you know what this game is? It's the battle of the real 3-0 team. I'm sorry, uh, San Francisco's 3-0 against the 3-0 in Vegas (laughs) team in the Arizona Cardinals because they're 3-0 against the spread. Listen, Eras, I'm sorry, San Francisco's had three extra days to prepare for for the Cardinals. Everybody's talked about Josh Dobbs this week. Everybody's talked about, hey, I guess they did have fire in their gut. Talk about Jonathan Gannon and the Cardinals coaching staff, the Cardinals defense, the whole bit, holding a very good Dallas offense to 16 points. But old sturdy Brock Purdy. That's my guy. I love Dobbs. Sturdy Brock Purdy's my guy. Okay? He's played great, great. The first three games of the season, the Niners' weapons are good. They're getting back some guys from injury. O-line's healthy. Really, the whole roster's healthy as a whole. But Arizona covers. Give me the Niners to win. But Arizona cover thirty to seventeen. Niners win 30-17 over the Cardinals. They do for again. I talked about nine points was a lot for Philly earlier, and I feel strongly, more strongly about that than this. Uh, Joe jo, Dobbs will keep it close. Okay, jo, Dobbs will keep it close. Maybe he'll score like a late. It'll be close early, but I think Dobbs will lead the Cardinals to a late touchdown to piss a lot of people off who took the Niners to cover, minus 14. Give me the Niners, though, 30 to 17. Take the Cardinals to to cover once again. So, Niners will go to 4-0. Cardinals will go to 4-0 against the spread, okay? They're not as bad as I thought, clearly. Okay, final game of the day. I'm excited for this one for different reasons than most. (laughs) You'll see what I'm saying in just a second. Uh, for a different reason than most people are excited for this game. The defending champion, Kansas City Chiefs, on the road in the Meadowlands to take on the New York Jets. Of course, the big news in this game, Taylor Swift will be in the building. Which they double the ticket price that game, which I don't love. Taylor's not performing, guys, okay? Is she were doing the halftime show? Okay, like I'd see what... You don't need a double tickets just because she's sitting in the box with the Kelsey's, okay? I don't I don't love that. But the point is, Kansas City comes this game with a lot of momentum offensively, and every game this year of, of even every game this year for Kansas City's defense, even against Detroit, who they lost to, they only held Detroit to 14 offensive points. Of course, Mahomes had the pick six that went off of Kendarius Toney's hands. You, you you get what that is. But Kansas City, big road favorite, minus nine coming into this matchup. Here's what I think you're gonna see. And this is going to be the talking point of Monday. It's not going to be, well, I shouldn't say it's not. It's going to be Taylor Swift because she's Taylor Swift. We're going to talk about her on Monday. We're talking about her all season. We're going to talk about her for the rest of the time because she's Taylor Swift. And I think Kelsey will get a couple touchdowns for, for, for Taylor, okay? So Kelsey gets a t- couple touchdowns. The Swifties go crazy, okay? But here's why I think is going to be the story on Monday, though. Kansas City is going to run wild offensively. I know the Jets' defense is good, and the Jets' defense... No, they're good. You know what I think is going to happen? I think this is a mutiny brewing. I really believe that. The Jets' defense knows how good they are. The Jets' defense knows, as I mentioned all week, and I mentioned on Carving Up the Context on Wednesday, we, the Jets' defense, we have to play perfect just to have a chance to win this game or any game because Zach Wilson, who's not an NFL quarterback, is our quarterback. I think you're going to see the Jets' defense. I'm dead serious when I say this. Formally protest the organization continuing to stick with Zach Wilson and with respect to Trevor Simeon and refusing to sign a legitimate quarterback, even a legitimate backup. Simeon's fine. Simeon can't get this team to playoffs. This is a team that's good enough with competent, competent quarterback play to get to the playoffs even sitting here at one and two, even at spoiler alert, one and three, which I think they will be obviously against the chiefs. This is a jets defense facing Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reed, that chiefs offense. Rasheed Rice, I think plays well as well in the red zone. I think the Kansas city chiefs are going to go up and down the field in the meadowlands, not going to win. Nobody gets healthy. Cause that turf sucks over there, but th- this could be, this could get bad. Wick. I think the jets defense mutinies. Against the organization, the Chiefs win 45-9 to in the Meadowlands. That's what's going to happen. I promise you the story on Monday is going to be, hey, did the Jets defense give up? Did the Jets defense protest the organization, the head coach Robert Sala, and the general manager Joe Douglas for continuing to roll with Zach Wilson and refusing to admit they're wrong? Just, Just wait. That's going to be the conversation on Monday. And, of course, Kansas City happens to be the beneficiaries of that. And, by the way, too, because it's on national television, that will just amplify the story even more. And the fact that it came against the champs won't will hurt matters as well. So, Kansas City 45. Sorry, Kansas City and the Swifties 45. The Jets a mere nine points more than you and I scored. That's what I got. Real quick, let's go over my... By Bryson's bleak bet game, I've got the, if I have it here, the Denver Broncos 31 to 27 over the Chicago Bears in Bryson's bleak bet. In my if I were a Batman game, I've got the Ravens covering uh take them and the points to win 26-16 over the Cleveland Browns. And in my upset of the week, yes indeed, I've got the Carolina Panthers beating the Minnesota Vikings 27 to 26. Isn't that funny that two of those three features uh football teams. It's a weird week. I'm telling you. Get right week in the NFL, okay? It starts on Sunday morning with the Jaguars beating the Atlanta Falcons. That's what's going to happen. All right. Great show today. Had an absolute blast. That is all the time we have for today's show. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And of course, be sure to like, share, comment. It takes two two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. For the record, we just the other day surpassed 300 subscribers on Carving Up Live. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much to all those who who have subscribed, who have supported the show since day one. To new people supporting the show, we thank you as well. Again, as I've stated over and over again, the goal, the mission is to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, uh, which is February the 11th. We're trying to get to 1,000 by then. So again, another goal set, 300 subscribers. Very exciting. I appreciate everybody for for doing that. So if you haven't, click that big red subscribe button. Please do. Helps the channel grow exponentially. If you have, once again, thank you. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a family member to tell their niece to tell their brother to tell a friend to subscribe to Carving It Up Live. Appreciate the support so much. Can't even tell you. And, of course, also, subscribe to The Grid Network. That is GRYD, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Long live The Grid. No question about it. Barry Grant Jr., all Even podcast tonight at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific. Got a lot of stuff happening at the network. A lot of great faces, a lot of great voices. The 8 o'clock spot, of course, Tuesday nights at eight Eastern, 5 Pacific, every night on the grid, so please check that out as well. All right, got a great weekend of football. Cannot wait. I think my Vols win, I think my Steelers win, and I think Dak wins. Big. Over his buddy, Zeke. See y'all on Monday, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific. YouTube, Twitter, you know where to find us at this point. Follow us on all social medias. Like I said, please be sure to st- please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Gotta fix that big time. Okay, see you on Monday. Great football weekend ahead. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Thanks, Cheesehead Ozzy. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grin Network.